0: I think you have to have a pretty high level of resiliency and adaptability. Because if you're not looking to adapt regularly to meet your community's needs, then then you're kind of going to become a dinosaur nonprofit, I think, pretty quick.
1: This is Can Do, a podcast that explores the essential lessons for business success. As the world continues to feel the effects of the coronavirus, uncertainty and unpredictability have become the status quo. It has never been more important to learn from entrepreneurs and industry experts about their experiences and to hear their advice. Whether you're a business owner, or entrepreneur, your career is affected by the current economic climate, lessons shared by our guests can help you make informed decisions about your future. I'm your host, Arnie Sherman. By all accounts, the U.S. child care system is in crisis. According to the New York Times, before the pandemic, 90% of dual-income families used some form of child care arrangement. COVID 19 exacerbated an already problematic situation and disproportionately affected women, who were predominantly the ones who left the workforce to provide home care. According to the US Chamber of Commerce, nearly 16,000 child care centers were forced to close permanently during the pandemic. Montana continues to struggle to provide access to affordable child care, reflecting the nationwide trends. Today on Can Do, we are joined by Heather Foster, CEO of the Missoula Family YMCA which is the largest childcare provider in the state. She will share her insights into the problems and challenges of responding to the community need, and also share future growth plans for the 350 employee organization that is breaking the mold of a traditional YMCA. Support for this episode of Can Do is provided by the Dennis and Phyllis Washington Foundation, dedicated to investing in people to improve the quality of their lives. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey & Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at parsonsbailey.com. Heather Foster, welcome to the show. How are you today?
0: I'm great. Thanks, Ernie. So tell
1: our listeners a little bit about your background and how you ended up getting to the YMCA of Missoula, Montana. Family YMCA.
0: Right. Uh, probably by chance more than anything. You know, I um, I don't know how far back you want me to go. I grew up in a pretty small town in Montana called Corum, which I lovingly say is like the gas station right before West Glacier or Glacier National Park. So very, very small town and uh, ended up going to college in Billings at MSUB because it was the furthest away I could get from Corum and still pay in-state tuition, and uh, went to college, you know, with the plans of being a child and family counselor or social worker, um, and and ended up, you know, taking a little different life path. Like, got married young, had children young, went into a job that paid the bills a little bit better, which was insurance at the time, and um, then started doing HR and kind of my career is morphed until I wandered in the door here at at the Y about eight years ago um, and was the HR director for a couple of years. And then in the true nonprofit style, you know, as you um, show yourself to be relatively competent, you uh, draw the short straw and get more and more responsibility until I became the interim CEO here at the Y. And then um, sort of, they got stuck with me.
1: Well, I think getting stuck with you is probably the best thing that ever happened to the YMCA but you have a common career issue that many people face which is you started out being interested in you know working with kids and children and being a counselor and now you're running an organization with 350 employees how do you build the capability the skill the interest to you know transition to that
0: yeah, I, I mean, I say it regularly, like this this job was my Oprah full circle moment. This was um, kind of the culmination of all of the things that I ended up loving and being really interested in coming together in, in a, um, I don't know, probably random happenstance. But I think throughout all of the jobs I've had have given me the skill sets I needed to do this, and I didn't even recognize it. And so um, some of those old file file cabinet memory banks have been opened as I um, transitioned into this role, in particular, that early education piece, which was one of my favorite things in college, I was really learning about brain science and, um, you know, human development and how critical those early years are and somehow I end up you know running an organization that's leading the charge on sort of addressing the childcare shortage in, in Montana in particular so it's all come together.
1: I'm going to come back to uh, the management of the organization later but tell me a little bit about the uh, Missoula Family YMCA in general and particularly how did you become the largest childcare provider in the state of Montana?
0: Yeah. Uh, so our Y has been in Missoula for 55 years and like every Y, you know, it's youth development, healthy living, social responsibility, and we've changed over the course of, you know, the decades and started out with a really heavy youth program, youth sports, started soccer in Missoula, Montana, um, kind of, you know, started a lot of the, the youth leagues and programs and then moved more into that traditional gym and swim. Built a big facility, have a pool, exercise. Um, really focused a lot on membership. And then throughout that, I, I think you know, as you, as you should in a nonprofit, you start asking the community, what do you need? What what? How do we need to show up to continue to serve? And um, and so childcare became more and more prevalent. We acquired a one childcare center that was here in Missoula that was going under. Um, in the nineties and um, started operating another one on our main campus. And it slowly morphed into one of the largest provider of early childcare in, in Montana to now we also provide licensed school age programs, which include licensed summer camps. And that's kind of how we got to be the biggest. It was a, a slow process, but it, it really was asking the community, what do you need?
1: So you're building this capability, COVID hits. What impact did that have on your operations?
0: It was drastic financially at first. Um, You know, membership is the the sort of financial backbone that allows us to do everything that we do. It, It pays for my salary. It keeps the lights on. It pays for the insurance and allows us to subsidize our own programs so they're really affordable for families in Missoula. Um, so that was, that was big. We lost about 48% of our membership revenue in about a month's time. Um, and our facility was closed for almost two months. And you know, while we had a large group of people that really did decide to stay with us and keep paying their membership, um, you know, we had a lot of people that probably out of necessity and, and rightfully so stopped paying um, for a facility that they couldn't access any longer we tried a few things. We started offering virtual classes, live streaming things on social media platforms to keep people engaged and to keep them exercising. Um, but really what we were able to do is access some of the ARPA funds that came through um, and they helped us support a lot of emergency child care. So we used every square inch of this facility from our conference rooms to common spaces and propped up emergency childcare for um, essential workers and, and you know sort of that, that first line of defense people, anything from hospital staff to people checking out your groceries. Um, and we had children in all square inches of this facility and we were able to do it really safely and um, keep a lot of Missoula's workforce at work.
1: So you have a dual responsibility in many ways. You're running a large not-for-profit organization with the largest child care capability in the state. And being in that position, you have been asked to participate, you know, in in conversations about what needs to be done to the, you know, the crisis that child care is facing. I mean, we have a growing affordability issue related to it. We have diminished uh, availability you're trying to raise money to expand your your own operation but you know what is the state of of uh child care you know right now
0: you know i i think one of the things that oddly excites me is that people are asking those questions i think child care has historically been um overlooked or under supported all of those things uh, for so many reasons right like i i continue to be an advocate to stop calling it daycare, um, and to really talk about it like childcare, talk about it like early education. Um, So for us, it's advocating for a couple of things. One is the best beginning scholarship program that our state uses here in Montana to help support families on income-based needs um, for childcare so it's affordable. Um, also looking at child care licensing and um, policy around school age licensing so that potentially it could be expanded and you know child care doesn't doesn't end at preschool right um, if we really want to talk about workforce and how we keep people keep people working it doesn't end at preschool there's still after school time summer camp is a huge block of time where you know School is out, but kids are still need care and support and they need stimulus. And so um, I think elevating those conversations from a policy perspective to make sure that there's um, licensing regulations that make sense for school age programming. And then talking about childcare as a, a model in general. It's it is not necessarily a self-sustaining model. I think we're able to be a large provider of childcare because we have a diverse revenue stream. You know, we we have money coming in from membership and other programs. We subsidize infant care at our facility. Um, if we charged, you know, what it actually cost to to hold babies all day long and to care for them, uh, it would be wildly unaffordable for families.
1: You know, that's that's part of the the tragedy, I think, of the whole situation. You basically have a failed business model for how child care operates in the country, and you got 27% of infants and toddlers in paid child care of some form or another, you know, and, and so, I mean, you, you've highlighted some of the things that are, that you're doing, but, uh, you know, how did it get to this point? And what does it really need to kind of get it, you know, shovel its way out of the situation?
0: Yeah. You know, I, I'm not a hundred percent, I'm not sure how it got this way. I think it's a little like how you, you know, boil a frog, right? It just, it slowly has happened. Um, I think it's been under-recognized as a resource for families, under-recognized from a business perspective of, you know, what your workforce needs. How often do you hear companies saying like, having conversations about family-friendly business practices. And I think the pandemic has really shifted our workforce and changed people's priorities. And um, so I I think that's a piece of it. Employees need and want more um, and expect more from employers now, which includes flexibility and consideration for family dynamics. And um, so I think that has played a role in kind of the ramp up of of the childcare emergency that we're now in. And then, you know, I, I think, it's um, been underfunded. Um, I also believe that it's, um, it's a tough workforce. You know, I, I think we need to treat and pay childcare employees more like teachers. So even to, to get people into this business, and um, it takes a certain special somebody to want to work in early education all day long. It is a tough job. And uh, during the pandemic, you know, I, I got my own taste of it. I was definitely spending some time in infant classrooms when we had childcare staffing shortages. And um, so I, I have a, the briefest of understanding of what it's like to be in those early ed classrooms all day long.
1: Some of our previous guests who are business owners, particularly in the hospitality industry, cited child care support as the number one issue because many of their workers you know, were disproportionately women, and di- women disproportionately have been affected by this, you know, and, and women who were in the workforce trying to balance childcare responsibilities with paid employment, you know, has created sort of a, you know, a disequilibrium from even what it was prior to the pandemic, which wasn't so great at that point. I mean, this conversation was certainly going on prior to the pandemic. The pandemic just you know, made it a more critical conversation because people were pulling out of the workforce. And again, disproportionately women were doing that. So um, COVID affected your operation. You, you obviously talked about it staff-wise and child-wise. Has the situation now rectified itself? I mean, we're not out of a COVID-infected society in general. It's lingering in some form or fashion, and there's constant shockwaves of you know new things happening, you know what what's the what's the situation like right now?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's starting to um, right side a little bit as far as membership. You know, we've seen an uptick in people coming back to quote unquote more normal activities, but you know, I I think operationally we'll we'll never be the same. We used to live in a model where summer camp, for example, you would walk into our gym on a Monday morning at 7am and you could see 250 kids in our gym getting ready to go to their prospective summer camps, right? And they would break off into their small groups. We will probably never gather 250 kids again in our gym. Um, One, when you stop doing it, you recognize how chaotic it really was. And um, and two, you know, I, I think looking at overall safety and health, it's I think we have a different perspective. Like we want to operate differently. I don't, I don't want to go back to how it was before because I think we've learned really important things through this pandemic. And um, if we can't adapt from those things that we've learned, then I don't think you survive as a business.
1: So what are the most important things you learned?
0: You know, I think one, our employees want different things. I, I think um, in particular for us, we have 48% of our staff team are under the age of 22. Um, which is a very young workforce. And they are advocates like I've never experienced. It is um, beautiful and uh, amazing. And it makes you feel like we might be in good hands with the younger generation coming up. And it's it, you better show up and you really better mean it um, because they they don't like lip service and they will call you out quickly. And so I think you know, we're trying really hard to listen to our staff and figure out exactly what they want and need and how they want us to show up as a, as a business. You know, I, I think nonprofits have the reputation of always underpaying their staff. And I, we have definitely um, done that in the past and we're working really hard to, to fix that. But we also recognize we're probably always going to be under, um, you know, what a for-profit organization is going to be able to offer. And so, for people that choose to work with us, they work with us because they believe in the mission, in building a better community and working together to support families and children. And if we're just saying those words and not showing up and actually doing it, you'll lose them quick. They will not stick around. So so I think that we've learned in particular. Um when it comes to running a, an organization that's, you know, in the human service sector, I, I think it's you know, we need to look at things like our building and what is HVAC and air quality and how do we do more exercises that are outside? People, um, people want to be outside, but they still want the accountability of being in a group or they still want to gather. What does commuting look like again? How, what do, you know, how do people want to um, build relationships again after being isolated for so many years? So I, I think it's, it's a lot of listening and staying really flexible as an organization, is gonna be important to to our success.
1: Well, you're learning a lot of lessons now from Generation Alpha workers. I mean, just when we're all getting used to Generation Z or whatever, we have now Generation Alpha workers, people that were born in this century. And uh, um, you have a large workforce that were born in this century. And so it's it's an interesting uh, challenge, I think, for an organization like yours to maintain a large staff full-time and part-time, and then to try to deal with customer needs. And let's not forget, not-for-profit doesn't mean you have to, you don't have any money. You have to raise money and spend money. And now you want to expand to take on more childcare capability. And how can you do that under these circumstances?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the expansion piece is, is, has been something that our organization has talked about long before I ever showed up. Um, Our board and the board prior to this board and boards prior to them have known that it's, it's time for our facility to adapt and to change. Most of um, this facility is original from, you know, the early eighties build and, um, and needs some TLC. It's a heavily used facility, about 15,000 people, unique individuals use this building every year. And so it, it needs to be updated, one. And then the other piece is, you know, if we're continuing to ask our community what they need, we overwhelmingly hear more childcare and accessible, affordable, and high-quality childcare, which for us, um, programmatically, we run high quality childcare. But one of the facilities on our main campus is the original why. It was a donated building that was brought over on a flatbed truck and propped up and Um, was never built for childcare. And, uh, you know, I think environment matters and not just from a health and safety standpoint, when you're talking about, you know, what does the fresh air intake look like in a building, but also, you know, what does an infant classroom look like and how accessible is hand-washing sinks? And um, we need to think about our staff and what the flow of their day looks like and then how much natural sunlight is coming into that building and is there indoor outdoor classroom spaces and are there enough toilets and hand washing sinks and um so it is time for us to to build a center that matches the level of quality of our program and that's that's what we're planning on doing so we're we're looking to build a brand new child care center and get rid of the the one that's on our campus um, but yeah, we're we're looking to do that and we're also looking to completely renovate our facility, reimagine some of our spaces. We're not adding a ton of square footage, but you know, we want to look at serving kids seven and up. You know, you can be seven years and, and older and be unsupervised by yourself in this facility. And so um that's a great group of kids that we need to make sure we are serving them, we're keeping them safe, we're keeping them engaged and active so we're looking to sort of renovate quite a few spaces in our building to meet that seven years and, and older age group of kids and then keep serving our membership base also.
1: You know, when you look back and say, well, you know, 1982 to now is 40 years, you know, and it doesn't necessarily seem like that would be, you know, an overwhelming uh, adjustment that would have to be made. But if you look at in 1982, 40 years earlier than that was 1942. And if you were trying to run a building in 1982 that was built in 1942, you would have lots of issues. So there really is a, uh, an important way to put this in perspective of how things have changed over a 40-year 40, 40 period. You're raising $15 million. How challenging is that right now when you're going through, you know, raising interest rates, you know, inflation, uh, the stock market is a bit unstable, you know, people who you know donate to this. I mean, you need you need the the small investors, but you also historically need large investors to come to come to the forefront. You know, what what what's the uh, the landscape look like now for raising fifteen million dollars?
0: You know, we're making really good progress. Um... This is probably one of the scarier things I've ever had to do in my professional career. I had never raised a dollar um, before I started working at the Y. And I I think the CEO that hired me walked in maybe two months into my employment and said, like, you're going to be on a campaign and we're going to ask you to ask your friends and family and anybody you know to donate to our annual campaign. And I thought, this is a part of my job, are you kidding me, as the HR person? And um, so if you would have told me a few years ago that I would be uh, involved in raising $15 million for a capital campaign, I would have for sure thought you were out of your mind. Um, But you know, one, we hired the best, we hired a, a local consultant that is a fundraising expert here in Missoula and in Montana um, Melanie Brock, and she's been a great resource and kind of operates as air traffic control, making sure we're all doing the right things. We have an incredible group of volunteers, um, you know, not to call one of you out, but, um, Arnie Sherman as uh, one of our, uh, um, capital campaign volunteers. And it's, it's going to take the whole crew. There's about 20 people helping us raise $15 million and, it is calling your Rolodex of people and saying, this is why this is important to me, why it's important to Missoula and how, how this organization is going to continue to serve generations to come. Um, You know, the volatility in the market is, is, has been interesting. I think um, you could start to see donors feeling a little bit more hesitant on making long-term gifts where we're taking, you know, gifts over three to five year pledges. Um, So, I think that's a conversation that's happening more often. We have a very philanthropic community. I think right now in Missoula, there's about $39 million worth of capital campaigns that are going on. And um, what I've heard from most is they're all doing pretty well. You know, we're about $7.6 million raised in the first eight months. Um, We got some great big initial gifts from some family foundations that have been long-term supporters of the Y, and um, that really helped kickstart our campaign. But it's, you know, it's it's an ever-changing landscape, and um, it's going to be a challenge to get across that, that finish line of 15000000 million.
1: I'm speaking with Heather Foster, CEO of the Missoula Family YMCA. Support for this episode of Can Do is provided by Montana Rail Link. Committed to safely delivering transportation solutions to their customers and partners. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons Bailey and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. Most small businesses in Montana, and Montana is a state of almost all small businesses. Don't have boards of directors. You have a board of directors that oversees your work, you know, and it plays a big part in, in not-for-profit operations. How active and engaged is your board and and, and how much do you rely on them for the, you know, for the operation of the organization?
0: Yeah, they're incredible. Um, we have about 15 board members and they range from all kinds of industry from tech to banking to attorneys, Um, we have some retired individuals and, um, a couple of board members that have really been around with the Y for a long time. One in particular that, you know, I have a, there's a photo somewhere in this building of him with the shovel, um, breaking ground when they built this facility. So there's some great historical knowledge that, that sits with us on our board. Um, you know, they, they help us. They, they were the ones that pulled the trigger on this to say, it is time to do this. This campaign, it's time to go out and ask Missoula for the money. Um, it's a scary thing for for us to do. We are a debt free nonprofit, which I don't know if that happens a ton, and uh, we have been that way since really the beginning. And it's because we've always had a board that's been very fiscally responsible, um, has made sure that you know programmatically we're we're meeting our our mission and making sure we're caring for families, but also as a business that we have a good foundation to stand on to make sure that we're sustainable. Nobody wants to put their blood, sweat and tears in an organization that is going to to just fizzle away. And so I I think our board has been really strategic about making sure that we are we are sustainable um, and that we continue to to show up for Missoula, you know, and sort of kind of stand in the gaps of a lot of families that that, um, you know, might have a car that breaks down and they can't pay for their after-school programming for the month or whatever that might be. Um, There are situations that happen like that every day. You think of the number of families living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, We get to be an organization that kind of gets to hold that space for so many people.
1: You started out with a career interest in counseling and childcare. You're running a 350 Person organization as a CEO. You take on new responsibilities and challenges that you never planned on taking. I know when I ran an organization of 200 people, and an NGO of 200 people, I spent most of my time out raising money, you know, and uh, uh, that wasn't something I was trained for. What is your biggest challenge as a CEO of this kind of an organization?
0: I think right now raising money is probably the, the biggest challenge. Um, it was something that I had no experience in and, um, I, you know, I, I think it's something you can learn. I've been really lucky to, um, follow in the footsteps of some pretty incredible fundraisers, whether they were here, the CEO that hired me was a great fundraiser. And I think I learned a lot from him and then, um, our, our community, you know, people. There's some long-term godfathers of fundraising in Missoula that I've been able to spend some meaningful time with. So mentorship has has made a big difference. And uh, I think I'm I'm not necessarily afraid to fail. So maybe that's one of my uh, strengths. Right, is to be able to just throw it out there and um, see what happens. And when you find a little success, it gets easier the next time. And when somebody says no, it's it uh, it never feels great, but you know, it's um, it's resiliency, I think, learning to just kind of roll with it and get up and do it again.
1: She raises $15 million. You renovate the building. How many kids in child care will you be able to handle at that point?
0: We'll be able to double our capacity. So, you know, right now on our campus, we have about 55 kids and we should be able to go to about 100. Um, in particular, infant care is where we're really going to look to double there are quite a few centers that operate preschool only. Um, and the reason behind that, honestly, is it's it's the only one that actually um, generates any revenue. So it, it makes sense why, why that's, that's the age group that a lot of centers will will operate and they won't do inference. Um, one, it's tough to find staffing and, and two, it's really expensive and is a loss leader. So we'll be able to really double. And um, in the early childcare, Space, and then we'll also be able to serve um, more kids in after-school programming and summer camps, and be able to adapt our offerings here. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll be able to expand quite a bit. And
1: does that number ease the burden, or significantly ease the burden that's uh, that's in Missoula?
0: No, it's just one one piece of the puzzle, right? I think childcare is 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 huge. There's some good collaborations going on in our town. Um, talking about how we can we can change the childcare model a little bit. Um, some of it it's it's really heavy administratively. In particular, when you're running large centers, um, the paperwork alone is is burdensome. And so, I think that is a, a barrier to some people to be able to provide more care. And another thing is, you know, there's really no bricks and mortar support for childcare. The federal government, you know, it tried really hard. I think to get some some language that would allow some of the um, ARPA dollars to be used for bricks and mortar expansion. Some states have figured out how to do that. Our state has not, and so there is no no support for actual construction or expansion of childcare. There is financial support for innovation, um, but you know, if you if you can't build the spaces to expand, I'm not I'm not quite sure how you how you grow.
1: So Heather, looking back on your eight years in the YMCA, what would you have done different, if anything? If you know what you knew now, eight years ago, what would you do differently?
0: Oh, I don't know if I would do very much differently. Um, yeah, I don't know. I always would say be more curious. Like I wish I would have maybe asked different questions or more questions of the previous CEOs, Um but I I don't think I don't think I would do a whole lot different.
1: Okay, last question for you. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs who want to work in the not for profit sector or considering a job, you know, that has a social good uh, element to it? You know, what's your, what's your advice if they come to you and say, you know, tell me about doing this kind of work and this kind of job? What advice do you have for me?
0: I think you know you have to you have to love it one um, it's not a nine to five job and it is um it is not a job that you that you can take lightly right you have to carry it with you most of the time and so i think you have to be really prepared for that i think you have to have a pretty high level of resiliency and adaptability um, because if you're not looking to adapt regularly to meet your community's needs then then you're kind of going to become a dinosaur nonprofit, I think, pretty quick. Um, I think you have to stay really curious. I think you have to get to know people. You have to, you have to love people. You have to love to be around people um, and ask lots of questions and, uh, and you have to just sort of suit up and show up. You know, it is a a field that you have got to, you've got to just dive into and be willing to do all the things, you know, i I might clean bathrooms one day and hold babies another day and um, be sitting on the, you know, state legislative floor talking about um, child care policy. I think you have to be really ready for all things.
1: Heather, thank you for suiting up and showing up and, and doing so <laughs> much for the Missoula community. It's a pleasure talking with you today.
0: Thank you, Arnie. Thanks for having me.
1: I appreciate your listening to Can Do, produced by Lena Beck in association with Montana Public Radio. For comments, recommendations for future guests, or general information, please go to mtpr.org. There you'll find previous guest contact information and content from all our shows. Listen next time, and I'll talk with another insightful guest. I'm Arnie Sherman, wishing you good health and prosperity.